Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I want to take a moment to let you know a bit of what's coming up in our community. Today, Clyde Glass is teaching and beginning our new series, Finding Complete Joy, and that series is based on 1 John. And if you're not already involved in a small group at Southview, we have an event called Group Link coming on January 25th. So this is a great starting point to connect with others in the Southview community. And you can register online or on Realm. And if that doesn't sound great already, there's also dessert. So again, Group Link is on January 25th and it starts at 7 p.m. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint. And you can find a link to our viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we would love to hear from you. And you can find an online connection card at the bottom of that viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. Additionally, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now, today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant, because God is here, and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Hello, friends. So glad to be joined together here and for those gathered online as well. Glad we can be here as we move into this new year together on this Epiphany weekend in which, as Brett said, is a reminder to us that Jesus is good news for everyone. Amen? So glad you are here today. And today, we are beginning our study of the epistle. An epistle is a word that means a letter of 1 John. Now, we just concluded at the end of the year our study of the book of Revelation, which was written by one of Jesus' followers named John. And although there's less certainty about the author of Revelation, the author of the three epistles of John and the gospel of John, we're pretty certain was the apostle John, also known as John Zebedee, also known as the disciple whom Jesus loved, who was the only one of the 12 disciples who was present with Jesus at the cross, at his crucifixion. So it seemed like a good next step to move from the revelation of John to this first letter of John. And primarily because what this letter of John provides for us. Because there are four stated purposes of the book of 1 John. And I think those purposes, as we look at each of them, is something we long for. Or something we deeply need. Because as we'll see in the series, as John says, he wrote this epistle to lead us, to lead we, his readers, to participate in deep fellowship with one another. Secondly, to assure that we are truly children of God, meaning to be sure we are born again in Christ. Thirdly, to keep us from sinning. And then fourthly, to find and experience complete joy. Anyone, anyone want those to be more evident in your life as we move in this year? Because scripture plainly teaches 
that it is possible for followers of Jesus to truly and actually know and experience these four things. Fellowship, assurance of the new identity we have, to freedom from sin, and complete joy. Now, some of you may have been with us on Christmas Eve, and at that gathering, or one of them, you might have prayed that simple prayer. God, if you are there, show yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me. And one of the ways, one of the ways that God reveals himself to us is through this word, through scripture. Revealing to us in these inspired words both who he is and how we can know him. So our prayer and aim in this teaching series is really for each of us and therefore all of us as a church family to have God and Christ revealed to us through this letter. And so really my main invitation as we move into our study of this book is an invitation to desire, to desire the things that you will hear in this letter. Now, as we're going to see in a moment, John begins his letter with kind of a verbal flurry, although we might not pick it up in our English translations. In the original writings, the first three verses of this book, this letter, are actually just one very long run-on sentence. John just kind of dives right into the deep waters. And likely the reason for John immediately diving into his teaching is that as John will share in this letter, he was compelled by the Holy Spirit to write this letter because there were others around in local churches trying to deceive, trying to mislead God's people. And these deceivers who were trying to woo followers of Christ to desire false purposes to desire empty sources of meaning. It was because these false teachers were claiming they had this special anointing that gave them this hidden knowledge from God. That's what they were claiming. And this special knowledge, and the original Greek word for that is gnosis, which just means knowledge. That special knowledge, it really became the center of their distinctive beliefs and lifestyles. And the result of their teaching was that it was splitting the churches in ancient Asia Minor in two. And now today, as you might know, we call that teaching Gnosticism, is how we refer to it today. And so really, part of John's purposes in writing this letter is to lay out here what is the true faith, what is the true knowledge of God in contrast to what some churches were hearing. And it's kind of interesting that this letter was written by John from that great ancient city of Ephesus, where he spent really the final years of his life. And 1 John was intended to be what is a circular letter, meaning it was a letter not just to one church, to one city, like the letter to the Colossians or the letter to the Philippians was, but this letter was written to be circulated among all the churches of Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey. Now, to remind you of what that looks like there, here's a map of that region. Now, you look at that, and I hope you think, we know that region, right? Because that's the reason to which the book of Revelation was written. And and these letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, they may well have been the very last of the New Testament scriptures to have been written. 
They were probably written somewhere around 85 AD. So really the false teaching, the Gnosticism that John is confronting in this letter, it had become even more complex, really more subtle, even more insidious than the Gnosticism that some of the earlier writings of the New Testament had to address. All right, so with all that as context, let's hear how John opens this letter. I invite you to turn in your Bible to 1 John. If you're wondering where it is, go to the very end, go to Revelation and turn left, just a bit before the book of Revelation. And I really do encourage you, as we often do, to bring your Bible with you so you can have it to see what we are looking at, maybe even take notes along the way through it. So we come to 1 John, and I remind you, friends, this is a word of God. And so John begins his letter by writing, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things, so that... Our joy may be complete. Let's pray together as we move into this letter. Will you pray with me? And Father, I do pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give life and light to this word as we come to it together in faith in hope of hearing from you in it. So I pray, Father, that you would give us Ears to hear what your Holy Spirit wants to say to us through this ancient letter. And we pray through this, Father, that among us you would make Jesus a living, bright reality. Oh, Lord, hear our prayer. And all God's people say, amen. Okay, now you might have noticed that this letter from John, it kind of begins in an unusual way, actually. Really compared to most of the other letters that are part of Scripture, including 2 John and 3 John, this letter, if you noticed, there's no greeting. There's no salutation. There's no introductory words at all. The author doesn't identify the recipients of the letter. He doesn't even identify himself. There's no opening, hello. But rather, John just kind of leaps right in to his teaching and exhortation which has led many scholars to suggest that 1 John is actually better seen not so much as a letter, but more of a verbal sermon from John in response to the false teaching and the resultant kind of division that was growing within the church. Okay, now there are many things that we're going to discover in here in our time in this book, but there are three themes in particular that come out right in John's opening chapter and are then are woven through this book, as we will see. Three themes, really, that are going to come out again and again in this epistle. And they are the three themes that intriguingly are also woven through John's gospel. So today, in our kind of introduction to this book in this series, I want to touch on those three themes, and we're going to spend the most time on the third theme, theme, all right? Here we go. So first theme of this letter is simply this. God is light. Say it with me. God is light. 
Here's how John puts it in verse 5, second part. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. Now, all through this epistle, over and over again, John is going to talk about a God who is light. And, And the good news about God being light is this. The light that God is, it's not just some kind of abstract, detached, and distant concept. It is something, John says, we can see. It is something we can actually experience. And in fact, the light that God is, is so down to earth, it is so kind of where I live practical, that John says, we can walk in that light. That's how practical it is. I can walk daily in the light that is God. Now, we know this about light. We know we need light in life, don't we? I mean, even practically, physically speaking. Without light, we run into stuff, right? We get lost without light. Light kind of reveals things to us. That's why we need phones that have flashlights in them. How did we ever do without those things? And John's going to explain to us that it is a similar principle in the spiritual realm. Because... If God truly can be light for us, we can then see things more clearly. We can avoid getting lost spiritually. Now, here's something we're going to see through this book. Sometimes there can be light all around us, but the problem is our eyes are closed to it. Or we might even be blind in that sense. I mean, we're going to unpack these realities in weeks ahead, but I think maybe you can already see, I hope, how that analogy brings us to what some of us might be experiencing spiritually right now in our lives. I mean, we might be hearing truth all the time, but really, if we were honest, our eyes are closed to it. So really, we might as well be in the dark. And we really, kind of spiritually speaking, we keep running into walls or stepping off cliffs or or taking the wrong paths because our eyes are closed to the light of God. And we really can't figure out why our life feels like it's in such disarray. So we are going to hear God's invitation to be light for us. Because he can show us where the dangers are, where the snakes are, where the turns in the road are. I am writing these things, John declares, in order that our joy may be complete in his light. So again, I want to invite you to desire this kind of light, this kind of life. That's a first theme that we're going to see as we go through this book. And then a second theme that we're going to see throughout this letter is this. God is love. Say it with me, would you? God is love. John declares it in chapter 4, verse 8. Very simply, God is love. So just as it is with the light of God, so it is with the love of God. Understand this. It is accessible. It is noble. You can experience the love of God. Verse 9, he says this in chapter 4. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. I mean, God sent Jesus, his only son, so we could authentically experience his divine love. Just as John experienced, he he saw it, he touched it, he knew this love. 
And that love marked John's life. You know, it was a great 4th century early church father, Jerome, who tells us that when the aged apostle John became so weak he could no longer preach, he used to actually be carried into the congregation at Ephesus and would there kind of content himself with giving that church body just a short message of exhortation. That's all he had in him. And his exhortation would always be, little children, love one another. Now, when the congregation grew tired of this message and asked him, why do you keep repeating the same message, John? John said, because it's the Lord's command, and if this is all you do, it's enough. Love one another. Now, really, to any student of the Gospels and Epistles of John, that story rings with authenticity. It really does. In part because we know John is consumed with the incredible love of our God. So a second theme we are going to see in this letter is our God is love. Okay, then a third theme of 1 John is simply this. God is life. Let's say it together. God is life. And again, I want to spend the most time today on this third theme. And it's because this life that John's going to describe really throughout this letter, it is the source of finding complete joy. I mean, John opens this letter with an obvious personal eagerness to share with his readers and therefore with us, again, what he has experienced, what he has seen, touched, heard himself concerning this word of life. Listen again how he puts it in chapter 1, verse 2. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard. As John says, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. Now, manifest is a word that simply means to make visible. In other words, John is saying this life, it actually became visible to us. We could hear this life. We could see this life, touch it, know it. Verse 2, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you this eternal life which was with the Father and it was made visible to us. It was made manifest to us. So in these opening two verses of verse John, understand the word life, if you go through it, it shows up three times just in these opening verses which should tell us something. It tells us this is something primary for John in this letter. A central theme John wants to talk about in this word is life. He wants to talk about, as we'll hear, the word of life, the manifest life. He wants to talk about visible life, eternal life. This epistle, it begins, friends, and is kind of woven through with life, which is a great word. I want you to just kind of let that word in, kind of ruminate on that word. Because the thing is, John is going to end his epistle with the same word. Listen how he puts it at the end of this letter in 1 John 5 and verse 11. And this is a testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have this life. And I write these things to you that you believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. Then verse 20, 
Jesus Christ, here it is. He is the true God and Jesus is eternal life. Jesus is life. He is life. He is light. He is love made manifest. That's why they could see this life. They could touch it. They could hear him because it was Jesus. Now, this might sound a bit weird, but this weird, but this eternal life then that John is talking about, I want us to see that it's not just kind of a commodity. I mean, by that I mean it's not just a what. As in, do you possess eternal life? At the start of this letter, I want us to see that this eternal life, above all, it's a who. Before it's a what. That's what John says. Again, right at the beginning of this letter. Verse 2, he says this in chapter 1. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father. It was Jesus, the Word. And was made manifest to us. Because again, this eternal life is Jesus. Who was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So I really want us to understand that from the beginning of this epistle of 1 John. John's not writing this letter simply to inform us of kind of some detached theological principle that God is life. So we kind of get the answer right on some test. He is writing these things and is clearly passionate about sharing them with us. So the things he had seen, heard, touched concerning this eternal kind of life, we might also see, hear, touch, and experience as well. Verse 3 says this, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. Now, that word fellowship there, that, that's a key to understanding what I'm trying to say here. Because that word fellowship, it doesn't mean just kind of to get along with each other, or to have nice conversation. That's not what it means here. I, I'm really not sure what images come to mind for you when you hear that word fellowship. But for me, I can't help it. Growing up, it meant coffee, refreshments, and kind of little triangle sandwiches they had together following a church service. Because growing up in the little church I was a part of, if you were having a church event and you really wanted people to come, you had to have three things, food, fun, and fellowship. And, and in that kind of fellowship, it really was a good thing. It was really sweet. It was communal. But it wasn't intimacy, even though it was encouraging. But understand, that's not the kind of fellowship John is speaking of when he uses the word fellowship here. Because the original Greek word that we translate as fellowship is koinonia. Let's say it together, koinonia. It's a word that means to partner in or to participate in. Okay, so what? Let me paraphrase then verse 3 with that meaning of koinonia. John says this, the reason I'm proclaiming to you the things I've personally seen, heard, touched with my own hands concerning this eternal life with God that's revealed to us in Christ, it's so that you can see it, hear it, touch it with your own hands as well. I am telling you this, John is saying, so that we can participate, partner in together in experiencing, seeing this life of God that is in Jesus. 
which is a life that offers complete joy. So again, friends, I want to invite you to desire that life. I I really want to encourage you to go past kind of intellectually knowing that God might be all these things, but to desire to touch and experience and really walk in this kind of life. And even if you've been disappointed before, or maybe even if you're feeling like God wouldn't want you anymore, to just kind of let down your guard and desire this kind of life that you can touch, that you can know. Because when John invites us into this life in God, what he's really doing is inviting us into him, into Christ. Now, I imagine that some of you might be hearing this and thinking, okay, I know all this. I mean, I put my faith in Jesus. I I received eternal life in him. I believe the right things about who Jesus is. And friends, believing the right things about Jesus, it matters. It's going to be another theme of 1 John. And, And doing the right things matters. Obedience is going to be another element of this letter. But when we step by faith into Jesus, into that life that is found only in him, he brings with him into your life far more than just a list of behaviors, far more than just a moral code or just doctrinal precepts. What he brings with him is life. I wish I could say it better. But Jesus can't possibly come into your life without bringing his life, his power. And that's why, friends, you are invited into an eternal kind of life found in Jesus. I mean, we're going to get into this more deeply as we move into this letter. But let me just kind of share a central element of this eternal life that John will describe here. And it's simply this. I want us to have this in our minds right at the start. This eternal life is not just a future hope. This eternal life he's talking about, it's not just a future hope. I mean, it involves eternity, yes, certainly. But it is not just about the life to come. It is also about a present reality right now. Now, I I think for most of us, when we hear that term eternal life, I think we tend to think of the life beyond this life, right? Don't we? We think of life's kind of duration, what we're going to experience when we die. But that's not John's primary focus here when he speaks of eternal life. He's not primarily focused on kind of the length or duration of the life to come. Rather, John is speaking of a certain kind of life, of a quality of life, that you and I can experience, see and know now. Because this eternal life, it is not just a future hope. It is also a present reality. And I think this is part of the reason for John kind of skipping over any greetings or welcoming words in this letter. Because he has such enthusiasm for presenting to us and reminding us of this incredible life. 
which all leads, I think, to some questions for us. I mean, one simply being this. Is, is what I'm describing to you about this eternal kind of life, is that something you're experiencing? I mean, is it something you have experienced? Would, would you say you've had a taste of it? I mean, some of you have. Some of you are right now. And, and some of you might say, I've tasted it, but I want more of it in my life. The, the sad truth, however, is that many, many people, even those who identify as a follower of Jesus, have never tasted or experienced this kind of life I'm speaking of. There was a 2022 Angus Reid poll in Canada, and, and it showed from their studies that over 70% of Canadians believe in God or a supreme being. And it also found that just over half of Canadians identify themselves as Christians. Now, those percentages have declined, but even so, that's a lot of people, right? So let me ask, do you see that much life in this country? Uh, Dr. James Montgomery Boyce, he was a pastor of the historic 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia for over 30 years. And he asked these questions. Why is today's church so weak? Why are we able to claim more conversions, enroll more church members than ever before, but have less impact on our culture than ever before? Why are followers of Jesus often indistinguishable from the rest of society? What is going on? You know, I share his words not to bring shame or guilt, but really to encourage us just to step back and be honest, to be aware. How would we answer those questions? What would our assessment be of our own day? Because friends, if the gospel that we preach only provides for us a ticket to heaven and doesn't have the power to have any effect on my real life, then we should have a problem with that. I mean, the problem being, we need more from God than only a hope for the life to come. I mean, that life to come, it is an incredible hope. It is an amazing gift from God. But the reality is, we have to get up Monday morning and go to work or go to school or take care of our family at home, and we need help now with that daily life, right? I mean, I'm, I'm thankful I have the hope of eternity, but I just long for some sense of peace. I'm thankful I have eternity, but joy seems so elusive in my life. I, I'm thankful we have eternity, but I need wisdom now for my work, my family as a parent. So rest in this. When Jesus offers us eternal life, he is not just offering us a ticket to heaven. He is offering us, he is offering you his life in order that we can do this life through his power, which is a kind of life that just happens to last forever. And that's a life that John says we can walk in, we can touch it, we can see it, we can experience it now. 
so when people come to Jesus with that kind of desire and say to Jesus, okay, God, Jesus, I don't want to be pushy here, but I want more than a ticket to heaven. Jesus responds to that with delight. And here's what he says to you even now. My child, I want to do so much more than just get you into the afterlife. I have come to give you abundant life now. I've come to help you in your daily life. So will you partner in this life with me? And beloved, that is the good news of this gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? It's because our God is light, our God is love, and our God is life. So here again is the invitation. I mean, simply at the start to desire. Or maybe even to ask God for a desire. A desire to know, experience his light, his love, his life. And I know in this we have questions, certainly. And we're going to hopefully address those questions through this series. But for now, let's desire what John says God offers you right now. So let's pray to that God. Would you bow your heads with me? Would you close your eyes? And just before I pray, I, I want to prompt you with those questions we ask often around here. Can you just reflect on this for a moment? What is God saying to me? What is God saying to me? And then that second question. Okay, if that's what God's saying to me, what am I going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? What step do I need to take? Okay, and then the third question. Who will you tell about question two? Who will you tell how God is prompting you? Oh, Father, how we thank you for your goodness and grace to us, the incredible grace you've poured out to us in your Son. And Father, as we in coming weeks look at these realities, we've heard the words often, I think. But I pray again, by your Spirit, you would cause them to go deep within our hearts, our souls, our spirits, and our minds, to prompt us to know how we walk in this life, partner in this life with Jesus. Lead us, we pray, even as we move into this week. And we ask again in Jesus' name, and again, all God's people say, amen. Amen. We stand with me, friends. And again, so glad you could be here this weekend. And remind you, our gathering isn't over. This is time where we get to hang out together. So hope you can join us next weekend as we look more into how we can seek and find joy in this life. And if I could give you another encouragement of a way to connect this week, this Wednesday evening, we have another one of our discipleship pathways, and we're going to be looking together at the core practice of tell. How do we share with others, just kind of in life, about this good news of Jesus? What does that look like? Would love to have you be part of that as we join together on Wednesday. And now as you walk in this week, whatever it does hold for you, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of his Holy Spirit this week, you may abound in hope in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's walk in that grace. Amen.